the uh it's kind of funny right after i got boarded i ended up going back and i was getting ready to submit my lat move package and my staff sergeant called me into the office and he just started yelling at me because i was lat moving you know honestly i'd be shocked if somebody made it this far Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt, and before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. I think, uh, I think we're we're ready to roll today. We've got Ross with us. A, uh, do you, are you opposed to the use of the phrase "former Marine"? No, right. I think that's accurate. There we go. Right. <laughs> okay. Once a Marine, once was enough. Um, yeah, I think. Um, I think one of the things you know about the snowflake, I guess, meme. Um, you know, some of the biggest snowflakes ever. People in the military, when you misrefer to something. <laughs> Um, so subtle right right the excessive gatekeeping um, yeah oh yeah (laughs) boy boy do we have experience with the gatekeeping um so yeah yeah well um yeah uh, i guess let's start off what was what kind of got you why do you join what what's your background um what's your origin story so to speak yeah um so i kind of I guess I was 11 when 9-11 happened. Um, mm. And as a kid, I was just real into military history and war stuff like that. Um, I think for Christmas, one time I got like a National Geographic DVD of Special Forces operations that they were doing in Iraq in 2004 and 2005. Um, so a lot of uh, what I kind of understood about the military was through reading the paper. So my parents bought a newspaper and I would read the uh the main sections like the main news events um iraq was really big in the news uh you know from 2003 to 2008 when most of the major combat operations were going on um so somebody who's into world war ii history growing up i think a lot of it a lot of it was conditioned to understand that the term war being used in the connotation of the Iraq war made me just think of parallels to world war II. Um, and you know, when I got older, I kind of understood that, you know, obviously not discrediting anything that happened in Iraq and you know, what the guys went through in Fallujah and throughout the whole counterinsurgency operations was obviously, you know, um, real combat. Mm, sure. But to compare it to something like world war two, um that a lot of us grow up like idolizing and thinking of history in that context um i think that kind of i don't know was something that wasn't as accurate about the military um when i actually got there sure um and then in about 2007 uh i got real into ron paul um i i always remember i watched the republican debates when i was you know, a teenager, uh, cause my dad's pretty into politics mm-hmm. and, 
Yeah, I remember that was really the first time I ever heard a realistic anti-war stance. And um, Ron Paul, I think, talked about um, CIA blowback, right? There's you can watch the video on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. Sure. Um, But but Ron Paul explains, you know, 9-11 happened not because they hate us for our freedoms, right? Nobody found uh, a Federalist Society pocket constitution in the sand in fucking Saudi Arabia. It was like, oh, man, they have fucking, I don't know, freedom to give your 14 year old hormone blockers or whatever right we got to go kill like, them let's yeah. let's yeah let's let's hijack commercial aviation assets and speed them into the twin towers um and the crazy thing about that clip is rudy giuliani is in it right <laughs> it's, right you know, look at rudy giuliani after the 2020 election it's wild but you know, after i heard ron paul talk about it i became pretty anti-war but as somebody who's interested in military history, I don't think that itch of military interest goes away once you kind of realize that the wars are, you know, so sure. to speak, bullshit. Sure, you can, right? you can still enjoy the the cool factor, I guess, while still regretting the use of it. Yeah, and I think that there's something like you know it's just the masculine urge to invade foreign nations and subjugate them to their will right right um so so um you know i uh i sort of had a weird trajectory um through high school i actually ended up dropping out of high school when i was 16 to play world of warcraft mostly so the burning crusade came out when i was in high school and i thought that it was a lot better than going to school um i was also failing most of my classes um and the other thing too is uh i have an older sister who's extremely academically successful mm. um so i think you know, following in the footsteps of um you know, something like that there's certain expectations in the family sure. and you sort of end up um i don't know embracing the concept of being a fuck up i guess you know obviously like having more life experience in my 30s and looking back on it you know so much of your self-worth when you're a kid or a teenager can be determined by how academically successful you are in the public education system sure yeah right and but the public education system ultimately doesn't really filter for intelligence it really filters for obedience and compliance right and it's just like how good are you at sitting in a classroom eight hours a day and reiterating information exactly as it was written on the test mm, yeah um, i think i think <laughs> it's kind of funny like before i dropped out um i uh i i think i had chemistry that year and the, like the first day of school the teacher's like oh we're gonna memorize the elemental table for part of the assignment and as somebody who's an avid internet user, I'm just like, why wouldn't I just be able to look up the elemental dates <laughs> right. or whatever the fuck, right? I'm like, is this really a good use of my time at age 15? You know, um, we got to defeat Illidan Stormrage, boys. And uh, <laughs> we got to play some war. We got to do some PvP on World right. of Warcraft. And uh, so I, I looked at the syllabus and I saw that the quizzes related to the elemental table memorization were um 30 of the grade and i was like i'm not gonna do that so i just never went back to chemistry um and in, in high school i kept getting suspended for skipping classes right. and um i ended up 
like getting out of school suspension for skipping like three or four of my classes. And I literally told the administrator, I guess, like, you know, my belligerent streak started well before I was the Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps. Um, and I remember <laughs> talking to the talking to the vice principal who's suspending me. And I was like, wait, so to punish me for not going to some of my classes, you're going to prevent me from going to all of my classes. And he sort of looked at he, he sort of squinted at me. And he's like, yeah. Um, so uh, you part of dropping out, too, was I realized that um, you can get a GED uh, in North Carolina. So I'm from North Carolina, grew up here. Oh, yeah. And um, you can you can get a GED and you can go to community college. And if you go to community college for two years, you can always transfer with an associate's degree to a four year university and uh, you get the same bachelor's degree in four years. Community college is substantially cheaper. Um, you know, everybody smokes cigarettes, which was much cooler than going to university. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, and so you, I just sort of dropped out. Um, I ended up getting kicked out of the house after I dropped out. And uh, I ended up flipping burgers at Hardee's. So I oh. dropped out of high school and then I ended up uh, getting a job at 4 a.m. as the breakfast cook after I got kicked out of my parents' house at 16. And so, you know, it, wow. it, I, so I, did, I was flipping burgers at Hardee's and it kind of dawned on me that everybody else who worked there had also dropped out of high school. <laughs> I was like, oh, is this why is this why people fucking go to school <laughs> so that they don't work at Hardee's for the rest of their life? Right. So I ended up uh, getting my GED. Uh, I went to community college for a couple years. And then um, after I graduated community college, I was looking at finishing my bachelor's degree. Uh, but I didn't really have an area that I was really interested. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I guess the my origin story of how I ultimately um, made the decision to join the Marine Corps is, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a degenerate when I was younger. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I'm familiar with the CIA mind control juice, and um, <laughs> so I uh, I had been considering either uh, finishing my degree in finance or enlisting in the military mm. and um there was a girl that i had been texting and i was like pretty into her and she ended up uh you know wanting to do some mind control juice and uh like i got her some and we were gonna hang out and trip and i get there and i give it to her and she had a boyfriend the whole time and it was kind of already too late because she lived a couple hours away and you know i didn't want to like because i guess there was no like overt it was more just like she had been subtly flirting with me mm. or maybe i'm too you know i am pretty autistic so maybe she wasn't flirting with me at all right um but you know that night um is she was kind of hanging out with her boyfriend in the corner and i was completely third wheeling just staring at the ceiling thinking about all the poor life decisions that I had made to lead me to this point and this, this shameful experience of just having to uh, like go through that. Um, you know, just like getting you getting taken advantage of for 20 bucks worth of shit. You know, it's just like one, get a job, but also if you fail to see the warning signs and stuff like that, you have your own shortcomings as a person. Mm. Um, and yeah, during that, I, I took a pretty 
harsh inventory of uh, who I was and the type of person that I guess could get duped like that. And um, oddly enough, uh, I just started thinking of life as if it were an MMORPG video game, actually, right? Like, this is basically, there's actually a band that came out with an album. Uh, they're called Negative XP. They're pretty good. Um, they have, they, it's either a song or an album, but they, one of their songs is uh, Life is an MMORPG and I fucked up my build, uh, which <laughs> resonates with me a lot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, my build, my build was fucked up when I was 20 and it's still fucked up at 32. Um, but I, I really took stock and index of you know, what I thought was going on and what type of skills and ability to interface with the world that I really had. Right. Mm. And yeah, you know, I wasn't a big fan of myself when I was 20, I guess who really is right. though. Right. Um, if you're actually, honest. there are some people there. I, there are some people who are, we call them chads, uh, which I am not one of, uh, but they, you know, it, it really made me look at is going and getting a bachelor's degree going to give me the type of life experiences that will develop me into a more confident, more self-aware, mm. more proficient person. Sure. Right. And I think a lot of the interest in the military too came from, um, you know, I love my dad to death, but he's an absolute nerd. Um, so he, he got like a master's degree in computer science in the 1980s. Um, so you, as, as a six-year-old, I had a computer in my room and right. just ended up kind of getting sucked into the whole, like just staying in your room playing video games. You know, I think that's pretty common with Gen Z now. Sure. And um, it, it really kind of got to a point where I decided to make a decision where it's, if you're going to try and become a normal and quote human being um you you have to put yourself through experiences that are gonna like recondition your brain and re-imprint your personality in order to do that mm. right and in the 21st century what outlets do you really have in order to be able to do that um and i had met some veterans at community college and I'm not, you know, I guess, you know, I remember one guy sat next to me in one of my math classes and he was an Iraq war vet. And I guess I didn't really understand what being an Iraq war vet who was in the infantry would have been right, like. Right, right. Right. And it's like, oh, that's sick. And he was like, not, not really. It wasn't really that sick. That's why, that's why I'm not in the RV anymore and I'm at community college. Right. Um, but so, you know, after that night, I said, fuck it. And. Um, I decided to join the military. Um, I had possession of marijuana charges from when I was 18. Mm. Um, and so that actually precluded me from joining the army and the air force, uh, cause they wouldn't give waivers anymore. Oh, um, sure. They, they didn't need for enlistees bad enough. <laughs> yeah. So it was 2013. Okay. Uh, when I ultimately ended up enlisting and, um, so I sort of, you did research on job fields and the field that I was most interested in was human intelligence, uh, which is only a job field in the army. Um, the Marine Corps mm. has counterintelligence, human intelligence specialists, uh, but it's a job that's a lateral move only. 
So for that, it means you have to enlist uh, during your first enlistment. You can try out for it and you get assessed and selected. Mm. And then you submit your package to headquarters Marine Corps with the endorsement of the job field. And then they'll approve you and you basically get retrained into the new job. Sure. sure. Um, I think to my knowledge, um, like SOF is obviously a different thing, but in terms of, you know, fleet Marine Corps, EOD and counterintelligence, the Marine Corps are the only two job fields that are like that. Um, I think scout sniper, although I guess that's not a thing anymore, apparently, Mm. um, is similar, but that's like, I don't think you have to reenlist for that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so when I was 21, I decided to, to make it a goal, um, to lat move into counter Intel. So I enlisted with the intention of doing two enlistments, um, assuming that I was approved for the lat move and I ultimately ended up did getting approved, did get approved. Um, so the, like the first job field, uh, I had just asked to go infantry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess another, uh, thing that sort of, uh, inspired me to enlist um, have you ever heard of a guy named Jason Everman? Mm, no. Uh-uh. There's I so I originally found out about him through a meme. Actually, if you just Google Jason Everman meme, okay, uh, it'll come up. Um, but Jason Everman was this guy. He was the bass player in uh, Nirvana, and then he got kicked out of Nirvana right before they got famous, and then he joined Soundgarden, and then he also got kicked out of Soundgarden, and he said, "Fuck it." And he became a Green Beret. Oh, wow. (laughs) And um, I just had read his Wikipedia page and he had this quote um, from this Italian philosopher uh, who lived in, I think, the 16th century. And it said, a well-rounded man is a warrior, an artist and a philosopher. Mm. Um, And that's, I think, one of you, I think at 20, that was probably better advice on masculinity than I'd gotten from pretty much anywhere. Mm. Right. You know, I think it's, it's hard to figure out what it means to you. Yeah. I think the being attracted to military culture and military stuff, right. We think it's cool, but there is like, you know, through thousands of years of conditioning that is still alive in everybody's genes today. Um, just some like, I guess, innate desire um, to like, I guess, connect with you know, mm. some more like, I don't know, primitive, I guess is what people would call sure. it. Um, but some like traditionally um, masculine activities. Um, so I fucking, I was like, all right, we're doing it. Like, we're going to become a warrior. We're going to fucking enlist in the fucking Marine Corps. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up taking the ASVAB. Uh, I did pretty good on it. Um, and I had been talking to the Navy and when they saw my ASVAB score, uh, they were like, we're pretty much only going to offer you a Navy nuke contract if you join the right. Navy. And so I was like, I had met a Navy nuke, um, like a couple months before. And I was like, I never want to fucking be around a human being like that ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> like the guy's fucking not who I want to associate with. Um, so I ended up like going into the Marine Corps recruiting office. And I guess to kind of like set the stage, I had never really played sports in high school or anything. Like I had done like rec soccer. Um, mm. I started working out and like running. 
Um, but I'm not, I was never really super naturally athletic. Sure. Um, and so I was, I think I was a hundred pounds when I was 18. Um, and yeah, I was a fucking, I fucking was trying to become a professional world of Warcraft player. Don't (laughs) oof that. It's fucking (laughs) self-explanatory. So, um, yeah, I had been too intimidated, I guess, to originally look at the Marine Corps. Um, but after my experience with the Navy recruiter, I was like, all right, we're, we're going to fucking figure out a way to get through uh, Marine Corps boot camp. And then I completely overprepared for it in boot camp. You know, nothing in the military ended up being too like physically challenging after mm. you get to you know, it, it's you know, virtually anybody could go meet the standards, sure. right, sure. or exceed them. Um, yeah, I think for my first enlistment, uh, I maintained like a 285, 300 PFT CFT most of the time, uh, which obviously fell off once I picked up sergeant and staff because nobody forced me to run anymore. Sure. Um, but uh, so I ended up going to the Marine Corps recruiter and he's like, we're out of infantry contracts. Uh, so I asked him, what's the next closest thing? And the motherfucker lied to me. And instead of saying, there's no thing that's close to the infantry. You're either a fucking grunt or you're not. Right. Uh, he told me combat engineer. Uh, so I ended up going in with the constructions utilities contract. And after boot camp, you know, I got my MOS assigned because uh, in the Marine Corps, you just sign up for the career field. Uh-huh. And uh, I ended up getting heavy equipment operator. And I think I I think I shed like two or three tiers uh, while I was in. Uh, I think I was waiting for well, I was waiting to pick up an MCT. Um, right. And it's actually kind of funny. My, um, it's hard to rank the stupidest thing you've heard while you were in the military, right? Um, but my my drill instructor was actually a heavy equipment operator, and when they told us their MOSs, he was actually like the DI that I was with during the Crucible. I'll always fucking remember this because it's one of the wildest things that I've heard a sergeant say, and I was a fucking recruit at the time. Um, he said heavy equipment operators are the best MOS in the Marine Corps because everybody needs us and we don't need anybody else. <laughs> and which it's technically true if you think about the concept of unloading a quad con from a seven ton. Sure. But if you think about greater military operations, right. that's pretty fucking like stupid. Eating. Uh, yeah, you just you base you killing the enemy right. potentially as well. Um, although there was somebody who got a confirmed kill with a bulldozer in Iraq, um, which is pretty wow. Sick. Um, yeah, I guess I, I I just heard the story secondhand, but apparently they just collapsed a building in Fallujah uh, instead of clearing. Oh, it. sure. Um, they had these. Uh, I don't know if you know what a D11 is, uh, D11s are like. Yeah, it's it's a bulldozer. It's really used more in like large scale coal mines. Mm. Um, the Israelis actually have a few, um, but you know they up armored it, and you just fucking drive it into the building, sure. and the building falls down. Um, but so I ended up a heavy equipment operator. Um, I go to Fort Leonard Wood. I do the training for that, and then um, I get my duty assignment. And not only was I a heavy equipment operator, but my first duty station was in the air wing. Um, so I ended up in uh, Iwakuni, Japan, um, in the Marine Wing Support Squadron out there, mm. uh, which is actually Arlie Emery's old unit. Um, he was in there for a little while. Uh, but so I end up uh, basically not doing anything really 
military related for my first enlistment right and i really <laughs> didn't enjoy it although iwakuni if you're still in and you're active duty in the marine corps iwakuni japan is absolutely the hidden gem of the marine corps mm. um it's uh you're about 45 minutes south of hiroshima it's the only marine corps base on mainland japan mm. um so i ended up extending uh past my two years two-year commitment um and i spent three years in iwakuni and um it's a pretty interesting experience to be on like the super small base in japan um because when i got there in late 2013 there had just been that um it actually turned out to be a hoax um but two navy sailors had raped a japanese woman allegedly mm. um and then it turned out that it was a hoax by the local i don't know anti-american okinawans oh, sure and um but they ended up locking base down and nobody could drink off base um which was actually one of my favorite things like that i experienced the marine corps um because nobody could drink off base everybody drank at the e-club right and it sure kind of was more similar to the old military where it's like i mean i wouldn't know what the old military is like but <laughs> your picture of it at least. <laughs> to the yeah the, the old core yeah and uh <laughs> so you know, everybody you all the alcoholics we all fucking knew each other um and the other thing too about japan is you could drink when you were 18. Mm. um so all of our boots could drink um so like the barracks parties were fucking great um like everybody would go to the e-club basically every weekend like you'd get to know people from other units like it was cool sure. um and then it was interesting to see after they opened up drinking to be off base um you know that sort of like camaraderie and stuff sort of died because sure. it just ended up every every unit would go to like a different bar in town and it just became really really segregated um hmm. yeah i think the i think being in the the overseas environment like that not overseas environment um but just kind of like being like isolated with other people in the military sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. on mainland japan because it's so much different when you're on mainland versus okinawa um because okinawa is really so much catered to military culture right like the the economic dependence of okinawa relies so much on the military bases there sure just because the sheer number of dollars that is being poured into the island sure. right so it's it's very much okinawa is basically just like a really big military town almost where all the local nationals hate you and don't want to interact right. with you <laughs> um you know i i ended up actually spending a fair amount of time um on okinawa i think i spent six months uh total tad um there's this pretty retarded policy that the marine air marine aircraft group that i was in had um and even though there were literally hundreds literally hundreds of heavy equipment operators on okinawa um anytime that a air wing unit from iwakuni did training in okinawa mm they had to be supported by a heavy equipment operator that was stationed in the Uakuti. Really? Uh, so I would get I would get paid TAD to go stay on Kadena Air Force Base, um, which is basically you know, 
leagues above the quality of any Marine Corps base in Okinawa (laughs) and just fucking drive my forklift for the fucking aviation ordinance guys that were uh, building bombs for the guys to uh, run ranges out there. Um, I mean, I guess so I I did get to see that because they can just be like, it's the command structure is a little easier. You know, they know that you're their guy. They can tell you what to do. I could see that why they'd want their own unit out there supporting but yeah, I, I could, I can also see that. Um, I think I have, um, I don't know, fairly, uh, I don't know, condescending view of the fact that heavy equipment operators even exist just because of how easy the equipment is to operate. Right. Sure. You know, the controls are literally on, uh, the little joystick that you use to operate it. And it's just, I think one of my main criticisms of the military is how just entrenched attitudes kind of prevail, right? Mm. And it seems weird that there's different MOSs for heavy equipment operators and motor transport operators, or even, you know, other job fields within logistics. It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to just give people licenses on the pieces of heavy equipment that they need to be able to operate, Right. right? To have a specialized job field to be a tractor driver in the military to me kind of is astounding um especially when you look at the promotion system and pretty much once you get to the rank of corporal or sergeant you just kind of sit in the dispatch office and never operate a piece of equipment right again. right right so it's 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 interesting i guess you know it's i uh you before i joined the marine corps the largest vehicle i'd ever driven was my honda civic um and then you you just end up in this um you know i i had gotten a 99 on the asvab actually and i just ended up as a heavy equipment operator and i i'm not trying to sound egotistical but i feel like i would have done and even enjoyed something like admin Mm. more than i would have enjoyed more than i enjoyed being a heavy equipment sure. operator in the air sure. just because you know, my natural abilities i before like while i was in community college i ended up working at a financial services company briefly yeah you disclose all this stuff to the military and then you know, your package just goes up to the monitor and they assign you this random mos right. and then you go you go into s1 and you're trying to get somebody to I don't know, type some sort of endorsement. And it's a kid who doesn't even know how to type. Right. He's like hunting and fucking pecking. Right. But and he was probably running a forklift when he was 10. Pro- I, like, I what, hope what's so. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, there is a, there's a guy that I went through uh, the tractor driver schoolhouse with um, that uh, he didn't even have a driver's license. Oh. He'd never even driven a car before. <laughs> they beat him a heavy equipment operator. He's from, he's from Buffalo. Right. Which is also weird that he was in Buffalo because a lot of the dudes from New York City, when they join, um, I knew a few dudes from New York City that never even got a driver's license the whole time they were in the Marine Corps. Wow. Because they said that they they didn't even want to bother getting it because they're like, I'm just going to go back to, I don't know, New York and yell at people on the subway or whatever (laughs) people in New York City do. Um, So, uh, you know, I had a pretty shitty experience. not a shitty experience, but it, I saw that the Marine Corps was a lot of institutionalization, right? Mm. And when you look at the leadership and you look at the type of person that self-selects 
to stay in the military Mm. a lot of the times it's not necessarily the people who are about it the most or the best at it it's people who value the job security or you know they get a wife and they have kids and they're like oh i have to stay in to make a career out of it and it just seemed to be i guess a lot less competent than i had hoped Mm. um and i you know i had originally set out with this goal of lap moving to counter intel and um by the time i picked up corporal and i was eligible to apply for it i uh i didn't even really i didn't i sort of applied to the counter intel mos with the expectation of fuck it if they approve my package and i get approved to the lateral move that it's meant to be um so the the counter intel application process is you you have to write uh an essay you have to write an autobiography uh you submit your package i think you need like a 110 gt score or something like that mm, okay and then um you end up uh going and you're boarded so you sit down in front of three ci human marines and they basically interrogate you and try and basically fuck with you sure is really what the really what it is um and so yeah it's a it's not an easy process i think one of my sergeants when i was a lance applied for it and he ended up not passing the board um but i uh i made really good friends with this uh aviation ordinance guy who uh he had he tried out for marsoc and he ended up getting peered out Mm. uh, which is one of the wildest things to me um because this is one of the best one of the, literally the best Marines right. I ever fucking served right. with. He's like, at the time, I think he was a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, he was clearly about that life. And um, so he ended up getting peered out and he was like really just dead set on going back and trying out again for Marsoc because uh, they had invited him back. And um, so I became friends with him and I said, fuck it. Like, maybe the counter intel community is more akin to soft right like maybe sure like there's just maybe it's just the heavy equipment operator mos that's like this right you know i i knew ahead of time that i really wasn't going to enjoy being a tractor driver um and so i sort of did the the counter intel process with an open mind um i ended up doing really really well on my board um, a lot of the times they'll interrogate guys uh, for six to 12 hours, right? They'll just wow. make you sit in the board. They'll fuck with you like crazy. They go through your autobiography. And um, yeah, it's really it's really a weird job field. Uh, I guess going back to the concept of self-selection is the type of person that decides to go and do counterintelligence, human intelligence, and gets approved mm-hmm. to do the lateral move is a subset of a subset really within the Marine Corps. Um, I think that's an interesting thing too, to think about is the type of person who joins the Marines versus the type of person who joins the army or air force or Navy. Um, there, I think there's a saying or something, uh, the air force is run like a corporation, the army and Navy are run like military branches and the Marine Corps is a religion. Right. Right. And so you, when you get, like that deep into a specialized community of counterintelligence, human intelligence, 
there really just ends up being um, just, it's not that the people are all the same, but it's, it's basically people who are autistic and pretty smart and good at reading people. Mm -hmm. And then pathological liars. (laughs) I could probably separate everybody into the CI human field into one of those two categories. Right. Uh, For example, my board, um, one of the guys, oh, also grunts. There's just a ton of fucking grunts. And there's also a ton, there's a ton of scout snipers. There's a fucking ton of scout snipers in that lab move to see. Really? Um, My, uh, one of the guys on the board, uh, he was a scout sniper and he was in Fallujah. And then the chief word officer that was in charge of my board uh, was a Mormon dude that had like 10 kids. <laughs> really? Interesting. <laughs> Very. It's a, it's a diverse field of absolute fucking just degenerates and fucking weirdos. Um, you know, there's a, you, so the, the CI human MOS actually really only came around in 2004. Um, mm, okay. The, the Marine Corps and the DOD hadn't really ever needed to run source operations. Um, so just like an overview of CI human. So mm-hmm. there's counterintelligence. The easiest way to explain what counterintelligence is, is it's how blue shapes the perception, how blue shapes red's perception, right? right. Blue being friendly um, and red being the enemy. Yeah, yeah yep, exactly. Yep. Um, if you want to read about counterintelligence, the McQuip is unclassified. You can just Google McQuip 2TAC6 and you can read all about it, kids. Right. Um, and uh, also the Army, the, the Human Intelligence Manual, so um, is the FM 22.3. It's an Army mm. pub that we use. Okay. Also unclassified. Right. So knock yourselves out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so. Um, and then human intelligence is how blue can shape uh, their own perception of red. Um, so the the counterintelligence okay. and human intelligence are two totally separate areas. Um, as far as I know, within the intelligence community, the Marine Corps is the only service that puts those two job fields together. Gotcha. Okay, likely because we just don't have that many people that can read at past and right. grade level. Um, <laughs> so the uh man i gotta stop saying uh and uh (laughs) there we go again uh lost my train of thought uh Um, they counterintelligence human intelligence right uh so there are two so it used to be the counterintelligence of os and it also used to be interrogators and then they merged those two job fields early on in the iraq war and they added the ability to run informant operations to that job field just because it was best suited. Because the type of operations that they started doing in Iraq during the insurgency mm-hmm. was more focused on pinpoint strikes. Uh, so you would have a CI human guy go with the infantry battalions and they would be collecting information and they would put out you, they would try and you know, gather intelligence from human beings in Iraq and then, you know, the unclassified description right, right, and, right. you know, help help kinetic strikes. So a lot of guys really got helped out by the CIA human OS uh, during conflict. Mm. 
uh, a lot of the IED strike, like a lot of the strikes on the IED manufacturers and stuff like that came from uh, human intelligence reporting. The uh, Jessica Lynch, um, I'm sure a lot of people remember that from sure. early in the Iraq war. The intelligence that uh, the soft teams used to find Jessica Lynch actually came from a Marine Corps 0211 uh, who debriefed, I think it was an Iraqi doctor. Uh, it's pretty cool. They actually have the notes uh, from the debrief in the schoolhouse where he grew out a diagram of the, of the, of the hospital and it, you know, soft just went in and, you oh, know, the wow. raid was a little bit anticlimactic. I, I don't think there were any insurgents that were keeping her there. Uh, sure. By the time they got sure. there, mm. it's a pretty interesting job field. So I did good on the board. I did good enough, and I got enough positive feedback from the the guys in Counter Intel that kind of made me say, "Hey, maybe the heavy equipment community just isn't really my speed. Maybe I'll fit in better in the Counter Intel MOS." Um, since it's a more, it's a more, I guess, intellectual approach right. to the military. Um, I, I was pretty interested in everything going on in the Middle East. I really like religion and politics. And I think getting into Ron Paul and the anti-war movement in mm. the 2000s really helped me understand a lot of the issues that they had in Iraq uh between you know, the different sectarian violence right sunni versus shia and then you go to afghanistan and you look at how many different tribal societies there are so you know i was really really interested in the job field i thought it was cool uh and my my goal pretty much for the whole time i was in the marine corps was to go on a combat deployment right that right. was the only reason right. why i had fucking joined i didn't join for the gi bill i didn't join so i could fucking go on boot leave and my fucking service alphas and try and pick up women because it's fucking I'm incapable of talking to girls you didn't want that sweet 12.4 uh uh um whatever the interest rate is yeah, yeah interest rate see the interest the 20 percent interest yeah, rate go. apr funny that's what i was trying to do funny thing about that having my first enlistment be in japan nobody had a car uh, because you oh, needed sure. to have a status of forces. You need a SOFA license, so status of forces agreement driver's license. Okay. So you, your chain of command had to approve you to get a license. And uh, so when I got to Lejeune, I, I, the first time I drove into the barracks parking lot, I said, holy shit, the memes are real. <laughs> because it's fucking, it was all, I didn't realize how real the Camaro Charger right. Mustang <laughs> Challenger shit was. It was unreal. It was wild the first time I drove into the Bears right. parking lot. Um, and you, the, at uh, that point, were you a E3 by then? So I, it took me a minute to pick up just because I'm a belligerent piece of shit. Right. And, you know, I didn't really, uh, you know, I think that there's certain qualities that most conventional marines look for in subordinates sure. i think that's one of the biggest issues really with the promotion system in the military is your you're being assessed for the next role based on how good you do in your current role mm, right sure. and that's probably something that happens in every organization 
And just because you're a good captain doesn't mean that you're going to be a good major. Right. And all the way up the chain of command. But the up and out promotion system in the military makes it pretty difficult or virtually impossible for people to stay at a level that they're excelling at and that they enjoy the most. Sure, sure. Um, I also was a bit older uh, and I had been to a couple years of college. Right. And yeah, when you're listening to your NCO who's 20, just try and chew your ass and you're three years older than him. Like a lot of it's just kind of like, Hey, I get that you're yelling performatively. I get that your concept of leadership was shaped by your corporal yelling at you, but you could just calmly explain this to me. You could calmly explain why it's such a big deal that I had one piece of trash in my garbage can during a non-field day room inspection, right? right? God forbid. Um, <laughs> yeah, my the, my heavy equipment operator MO, or my my company, or more specific, my platoon was actually really interesting in how I guess anal really the mm. the staff and COs that ran it were. We had daily room inspections for the two years that I was in. Oh it. wow and um every morning they would go through your room to make sure that you didn't have any trash and that your like lockers were locked or whatever the fuck and uh you pt every single day at fucking 5 a.m right and it uh i i get it it seems a little bit hardcore for being a tractor driver in the marine corps um but the uh it's kind of funny right after i got boarded i ended up going back and i was getting ready to submit my lap move package and my staff sergeant called me into the office and he just started yelling at me because i was lap moving and he's fucking chewing me out and he's like oh you don't want to be a fucking heavy equipment operator ross and i said staff sorry i just i it's probably the asperger's um but you know it's like there's always that point in your life where you know there's something you want to say right but you shouldn't i i just don't have the issue with not saying it right because i had already put in my lap move package right and so i fucking looked at him and i said staff sergeant i never wanted to be a heavy equipment (laughs) operator and he fucking lost his shit he was like all right well you fucking won't be anymore (laughs) and uh there's something in the marine corps called a fap and usually getting fapped out is bad. So there's certain jobs like barrack ba- barracks manager is usually a fap. Mm. Um, they'll fap people out to work the gate on a lot of bases because I guess the MPs are too busy fighting crime sure. in Camp Lejeune to fucking uh, check people's IDs themselves. Right. And uh, so they ended up sending me to the Joint Reception Center in Iwakuni, Japan, which was the dopest year of my fucking life man let me tell you what fucking if you join the marine corps you should make it your goal in life to get sent to the joint reception center uh because even in iwakuni there was only one flight that came in because it was such a small base right so my job for my last year that i was in japan was i drove a bus they made me get a bus license uh and i got a I got the bus and I would just pick up all the new joins to Iwakuni and drive them to temporary barracks. They would stay the weekend. I drove them in the bus to the orientation on Monday and then their unit picked them up on Tuesday. So from Tuesday at 11 
uh to friday at about six i just didn't really go to i didn't really have a job i just sort of hung out <laughs> and uh yeah it's wild when you find jobs like that in the marine corps or roles right. like that where it's the billet where you're just doing absolutely zero work and on top of that because i had to get the bus license i they ended up letting me get a car so i went from not having a car right. pta you know, five days a week at 5 a.m to you know never just lots of time to go to the gym on your own uh to do whatever the fuck you want and then they also gave me a car um yeah you know, there were a couple times where i just fucking like went to osaka without even taking leave because nobody really ever checked up on right. me right i just got on the, i just said fuck it and i got on the shin i told the other corporal i was like hey if anybody fucking asks where i am just cover for right me. right and i'd fucking I just fucking dipped and fucking had a good time in fucking osaka and uh <laughs> the uh it's actually really funny the other corporal that i was with there at the time he was in the aviation ordnance shop and his unit for so usually the faps only last for a year mm. but his unit forgot that they fapped him out and he had just gone to the headquarters unit and extended his orders to be a fap <laughs> and so he did a five-year enlistment and he was in his aviation ordinance shop for three months wow so he did Three, he did three and a half years and he picked up the rank of sergeant and he fucking spent three and a half years of that basically working two days a week wow that's um, wild you, it, it's even funnier because when he eas'd he got a job at the tsa because he's just like i just want to be a worthless government employee for the rest of my fucking life <laughs> and uh i and i think actually a couple of years ago um this guy doesn't have a college degree by the way he ends up he works at dfast now um mm. in ohio the so the people that do all of the so dfast is the military pay oh okay um, i guess you yeah sorry uh, sorry pretty much everybody in the military knows what right, DFAS right yeah because when, when you look at your pace when your pay stub hits your checking oh, account okay dfast gotcha um so if your pay is fucked up it's because that's the type of person that comes and becomes a fucking, I guess, military financial paycheck employee, right? right? right. The guy has, I, I have no idea what he does, but he just fucking decided that he wanted to have a government job and work for the retirement and just kind of do nothing. Wow. He, he got a taste, he just got a taste of too much of that good yeah. life <laughs> in the Marine Corps. Um, so after uh, I got done, serving as the joint reception center oh i see so actually interesting enough counterintelligence since the lat move only i ended up getting an automatic promotion to sergeant basically so i went from right. lance corporal to sergeant in a year oh, so nice. it took me two it took me almost three and a half years to pick up corporal and then i was a sergeant like i don't know months after i picked up corporal right, right. and um because of that i never really had any junior marines right so i actually eas as a staff sergeant and i never really had a junior marine sure. uh i had uh because i was in the joint reception center they would just send all the shit bags that were getting kicked out of the marine corps mm -hmm. to the joint reception center and they were basically my bitches they were all privates right. 
and they you, they were just my bitch to do i don't know working parties or whatever the fuck else headquarters were coordinated and um so literally the only brilliance i was ever in charge with were all getting admin sept from japan which actually takes a little bit of time uh, people think that when you get kicked out it's just they sort of just send you home the next day right but it takes like months and months for them to process the administrative separations to get these guys out of the Marine Corps. Right. Um, I remember I had these two guys for about four months. Um, I don't give a shit. I'll dox them. Uh, just their, their names are just too funny. Their names were Kitman and Dibble. And they fucking had gotten convicted of sexual assault in Japan. I guess they had had sex with a girl and they recorded it and they put it on Snapchat. Right. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard sure. of 29 snaps. Huh? Um, no, never heard of it. It's good that you've never heard of 29 <laughs> snaps, but uh, it basically, I guess there's re I don't use Snapchat, but there's, I guess, regional Snapchats oh, that you okay. can upload stuff to if you're in a certain geographic area sure. and you can post it. So they posted both of them, I guess, tag teaming a female Marine without her consent. And they did, fucking nine months in the brig wow and then they got out and i was in charge of them and i basically just sent them to working parties but they would record uh once they got out of uh the brig they started recording rap music in their barracks room which was fucking, which was one of my favorite things wow. because the other there was a third guy who was there for almost he was there for a year and a half because he was fighting his admin sap and he um when he eased he ended up becoming a dj or not yes when he got a bad conduct or a dishonorable discharge i can't remember which one it was he ended up becoming a dj in los angeles so i had a little fucking musical troupe that was in the joint reception center with me for those for those glorious 12 months right. uh it's also pretty wild too because there's two dudes who got convicted of sexual assault they they didn't have any restrictions on them when they got out of the brig um and because oh, the joint reception center you know, I, I guess there's a stereotype about um you know gunnies trying to always get to the new female marines like mm. when they're privates or private first classes sure. and uh these two fucking convicted sex offenders i guess i guess convicted sex offenders they would every fucking female new join that came in they would hit on him and they'd try and get him to go to the right. bar with them so it's like i'd have to go in afterwards and i just like i didn't like tell the fucking i didn't even really have the authority to tell anybody that they couldn't hang out with sure on their lip sure but i was like hey just so you know there's a reason they're here to do yeah this tip of the dibble guy fucking if they pull out their phone and start snapchatting shit just keep an eye on right him. um so after that i ended up in lejeune unfortunately and uh so it was okay being in lejeune because i grew up in north carolina so i was close to home mm. um but the the counter intel job field a lot of the times when you finish your lap move they send you to the unit to start doing on the job training and so i started doing my on the job training for counter intel and uh eventually i go to the fucking schoolhouse uh the schoolhouse for counter intel is actually it used to be a lot harder than it is now and i say hard in the 
I guess, military favoritism sort of thing. Because so much of getting trained to do uh, the espionage and the tradecraft and the interrogation is a lot of it just comes down to who likes who, Mm, right? Because really when you're doing human intelligence, if an asset likes you, obviously they're going to provide you more information. Right. And the schoolhouse, while the instructors try to be impartial, it's you really can't be that impartial, Um, especially once you've been in the Marine Corps for 12 or 14 years or something like that. Um, I think I sent you that article before we did this of the scandal and I can, I can post it in a comment uh, on whenever you post this on Twitter, Mm. but there was a big scandal in an article that came out in task and purpose about the counter Intel schoolhouse in the Marine Corps. Um, Some instructors were basically talking shit about students. Uh, Basically the instructor group chat got leaked Mm. and a lot of that kind of in hindsight shows the, I guess just different, toxic environments in the military that sort of can get out of hand when you get a group that sort of establishes themselves as an in-group. Oh, right. I think more so than a lot of other job fields, the counter Intel MOS, because there's a boarding process and because there's a selection process and also because everybody's on their second enlistment, the lowest rank is Sergeant. It really turns into a caddy environment where a lot of people are positioning for clout or influence or whatever. And they end up just being really fucking shitty people. Mm. And the, I guess the other thing too, about a job field like CI human is pretty much once you get in there and you start doing the training, everybody sort of develops this ultra douchebag mindset of, oh, I'm a trained observer and I got trained in interrogation and source operations. I'm basically a human lie detector test. (laughs) And it just turns into a bunch of insecure people projecting their own insecurities and assumptions onto everybody else. And, you know, it's also interesting to look at the military in the area that I went in. Cause by the time I got to counter Intel, it was already 2017. Um, and so you, know, the, the type of dudes who were still in, in 2017, a lot of them, a lot of the real higher ups saw a lot of shit in Iraq. Right. right. Sure. And a lot of the Iraq vets that were my master sergeants and chief warrant officers, they were fucking solid, right? And it's something about the experiences that you go through in you know, major combat operations like that that really kind of solidify good leadership and making sure you understand what the actual mission of the military is, mm. which is to get your guys home alive. Sure. But there's this sort of like intermediate type of person where a lot of them were from Pogum OSs. Um, I remember looking back, I uh, I had a couple corporals in my tractor driver unit mm-hmm. that had, they'd been to Afghanistan and you, you ask them what they did in Afghan and they're like, oh, we never let the FOB, left the FOB right. and we were pretty much just putting stuff on seven tons. 
but the way that they would talk about being in country made you think that they were driving on logistics patrols like a lot of the guys in the more dangerous job like the more dangerous times um and i think one of the other things too about afghanistan is that the war really died off after marja um and there's one other uh big push other than marja i can't remember Mm, the name of it right now um but that was before my time you can actually look at the casualty rates of the afghan war and this is my anarchist slash libertarian side talking but after the the major combat operator the i guess coin pretty much stopped in 2012 after stanley mccrystal called barack obama pussy to a rolling stones reporter and got relieved of command uh pretty much after that nobody did coin right and uh but if you look at the expenditures in Afghanistan from a monetary perspective, the the cost of the war actually skyrockets, mm. right? So I think up till about 2012, we had spent about $100 billion a year in Afghanistan. Wow. And I think during 2010 to 2012, the, the casualties were in the triple digits. Wow. And... One of the things that's interesting to think about for the global war on terror is that Obama really got elected on ending the Iraq war, mm, right? Because sure. so many people, you if you look at what happened in the 2008 primary and how Obama managed to be the dark horse and beat Clinton, is it's because she had voted for the Iraq war and the Democrats were really, really opposed to that. Sure. And then McCain you know mccain obviously you know there's no war that fucking motherfucker doesn't like um so after that it sort of became a hey we're still gonna deploy to these zones but a lot of the commanders became really really risk adverse probably due to the civilian leadership realizing how politically inconvenient uh people seeing dead people in the from the military on the news right 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 as it just turns into a hey this isn't really good for my re-election campaign how do we fight the afghan war without really committing people um Mm. in the same way that we had been in 2010 to 2012 and i think um you know i listened to a couple of your episodes before this and I think a lot of people really forgot that we were in Afghanistan. Mm. Oh, uh, sure. In America. Sure. Right? Other things it's, were on the it's news. It's really. Yeah. Exactly. It just never really got that much press coverage. And it's a lot of the global war on terror. If you look at it, it's really the first major conflict in human history that has been fought with an all volunteer military. Mm. Right like i our vietnam was conscription based i guess the first gulf war um was also an all-volunteer military Mm, yeah but it's an interesting shift um to be the military being completely staffed by people who volunteer for these roles right right and it just ends up really the poor and lower class of certain political ideologies end up serving 
or people from you know certain economic socioeconomic backgrounds end up uh, enlisting for the job aspect of it or for the GI Bill or something like that. And it really, to some degree, in my opinion, kind of turned the military into a bit of a jobs program, mm, right? Sure. If you look at it like that, sure. and that, um, that a lot of the military just because of how fucking massive the military is. I mean, the the military is the number one employer in the United States. I think um, Walmart or Amazon might beat it now. Mm, but as far as government sure. agencies, there's more people in the Department of Defense than any other. For agency. sure, yeah, and. You know, within that, you're not always going to get guys that are really into being about that life, right? right? <laughs> about like, you know, like, hey, I want to fucking be a good leader. I want to fucking give a shit about my junior Marines. You get a lot of people who sort of just fall into the pre-programming, pre-programmed conditioning of I'm this rank. This is how I'm supposed to act. Sure. Or I did this and this is how I'm supposed to act. Um, so there's a lot of compensation issues and the CI human MOS is fucking filled with it. Um, hmm. a lot for the reason too, I think, cause there's so many guys that are grunts that really did a lot of shit mm. oh, and yeah, yeah. they end up, they end up in the counter Intel MOS just because they're such upstanding Marines, right? Like a lot of the fucking grunts are just like the, the fucking CI human guys that everybody you know, ends up being a big fan right. of, but there's a lot of fucking pogues that sort of feel the need to compensate with sure. that. And it created this real, real fucking weird environment. Um, especially during the schoolhouse, the schoolhouse wasn't nearly as bad, um, as when I went through it, mm -hmm. uh, compared to that scandal that happened. Um, but while I was there, the OIC actually ended up getting relieved of command, um, for academic integrity violations. Wow. And headquarters Marie Corps actually for the CIU human schoolhouse had to come in and um, they basically forced the counter Intel schoolhouse to quit failing so many people because <laughs> um, I think the attrition rate when I went through the average was about 30% of your class would fail. And that happened with us. We started with 30 people and 11 of those guys failed. Oh, wow. And yeah, it kind of like it goes back to the gatekeeping concept that you mentioned in the beginning is because there's a boarding process to get into counter intel. Basically, every motherfucker in the MOS feels the need to put their personal stamp of approval on you. Oh, sure. Right. Sure. So if you know you you the the staff sergeants and then the gunnies are always like, hey, I'm you know, I've been in this MOS four years and I don't fucking think you rate. So I'm going to fucking fail you on this exercise because, you know, you didn't build enough rapport with me during my meeting. Right. It's just like, well, you yeah, know, I tried. It's just like, well, I just didn't really like you. <laughs> All right. Fucking. It's a fucking. But, you know, that's um, you know, one of the funny things uh, about the schoolhouse that I had noticed um is a lot of the people that end up doing the lat move are people who have been exposed to dudes who have been CI human. So I never met a CI human Marine um, really before I did my board. Okay. Um, and so a lot of the Intel community guys, so the Intel analysts, 
they have experience with the human guys and they think that the job field is much cooler than being an Intel analyst, which they're not, wrong. Right, right. Um, but <laughs> not wrong at all. Uh, but honestly, that's a pretty low bar to clear. Right. And um, so the, the guys who did the best in the schoolhouse, um, I remember there were a couple of us who were just doing really well. And I asked them, I was like, Hey man, did you ever sell pot when you were in high school? And they were like, yeah, I fucking sold weed when I was in high school. It's like, oh, that's why we know how to do this espionage shit. Because it's basically, because really espionage is illegal in every country. Right. 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 So it's like, you know, when you're out like looking for spots and you're trying to be fucking on your fucking secret squirrel spy shit, you know, it's basically like with your fucking, I don't know, 17 or 18 and fucking... I don't know it's just like hey do you have a parking lot that you can meet me right. in it's just like boy <laughs> dude we've dude we've been figuring that stuff out for years for right thank you so much for fucking <laughs> letting me apply some of my previous life experience and um so you know i go through the the schoolhouse and i did fucking real well at it and so you know i had crushed the board i had fucking done well in the schoolhouse and I was fucking ready to roll. Like I was motivated. I was hoping to get on one of the Afghan deployments um, because Afghan deployed out of second Intel. Mm. Really the Marine Corps AO for Afghanistan got cut down pretty big. Mm. Um, pretty much uh, from my understanding, we really only deployed to Helmand. And gotcha. um, so I was super hoping to go on a fucking Afghan deployment and I ended up getting put on one and I ended up, um so we were doing our training our pre-deployment training exercise this was like months and months in advance right, of right. the uh the deployment and so i ended up basically getting put on the afghan deployment because people realized that i was pretty good at the job not necessarily because i was like very well liked by the leadership <laughs> um, it was more of like a, hey this guy's a pretty competent guy right um, and the OIC, the OIC that was going on the deployment was a fan. Um, so I think he had fucking pulled some strings to get me on the team. And, um, so I ended up going out. So we're in the city and we're, we're running our exercise and, um, I end up, uh, just dude good at it. And I was sort of fucking off during the exercise, uh, cause it really wasn't that difficult. And I, uh, I went and I fucked a girl on Tinder and <laughs> like right after my operation, which is not what right. you're supposed to be doing if you're doing espionage. <laughs> and I fucking, I get back to the fucking, the, the fucking, I, we were like, we were just staying TAD on an army base where mm. we were just doing our stuff. Sure. And so I get back to the, to the army base. We're staying in some barracks and my fucking OIC and my team chief are standing right in front of the door and they're just basically interrogating me about what I had been doing right. during my operation. And they're like, is there anything else you want to tell us anything at all? And I was, I fucking was thinking about it and it's just like, I don't think they have a GPS in my car and I don't think they bugged my phone. So I don't think they have any way of knowing you know, right. the debauchery that I just achieved you know they also didn't smell my fingers either so fucking we were in the clear and uh then they fucking pulled out an sd card 
and I had fucking dropped it and I hadn't realized it. And there was no information on it or anything like that. Um, but I ended up getting dropped off that deployment. Oh, man. Um, by, um, by being an integrity violator, according to them. Sure. They, yeah. Um, they saw you as like a risk for a honeypot or something. It, I guess. Sure. I guess. Um, I don't know if there's honeypots in Afghanistan. It might be hard right. to honeypot somebody in Afghanistan through the burqa. Right. Uh, <laughs> dude, honestly, if there's an Afghan honeypot, I would fucking, I would be very interested in meeting her. Um, actually, fuck it. I, do I have classified information? If there's any Afghan honeypots out there, hit me up. <laughs> I don't actually that, know that'd anything. Be wild. Um, <laughs> but, um, and like right during that time so i guess like one of the reasons was on fucking tinder is i had just broken up with this absolutely psychotic navy corpsman that i had been dating mm. and um like a couple of days after i get dropped off this afghan deployment right so i had, i really spent six years of my life on this fucking right. warrior philosopher artist like quest of self-discovery right. And I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking go to Afghanistan. I'm going to prove myself in fucking combat. I'm going to get to do it. And it really got fucking just absolutely crushed away from me. Right. right. You know, it, I, I literally had it and it just fucking slipped through my fingers in one of like the most aggravating and frustrating ways that I think it possibly could right. have. You know, and it's like, a $5 SD card that had no information on it. Like, I don't know, man. Right. Like I, I it legitimately, I didn't even fucking think about it. Right. And, um, so right after that, um, that girl, my ex-girlfriend, um, told me that she was pregnant and, she was going to get an abortion because she hated me. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember like screaming on the phone at her um, that I was willing to be a single dad and please don't murder my own sure. child. Yeah. And she just like blocked my number and I never heard from her again. And, um, wow. you know, those two things culminated like right next to each other. Sure. And I got super fucking depressed after that. And I came really, really close to hanging myself on Christmas Day in 2018 because of mm, that. Wow. And um, yeah, I remember it was, it was an interesting experience too, because, you know, here I am in this job field of people who are like, oh, I'm a human lie detector. I can fucking assess people's intentions. Right. And nobody could tell like how depressed and how kind of fucked up I got from those two things. Oh, right. Your coworkers and who are experts. Yeah. Are saying good you know, no, it's just nobody. I mean, I doubt anybody really gave a shit sure. because kind of after they told me that I was an integrity violator, you know, fucking nobody really wanted to interact with me at the end. Sure, sure. Right. Like, it's not that I fucking had done anything like really that bad. It's just sort of, the rumor mill like started going around and right. you know once you sort of get put on the outs within like a very insulated community like that 
it can be pretty isolating. Sure. sure. And um, so I remember I had like visited home. Like I, I didn't take leave during Christmas and I end up uh, driving back to Lejeune and on the way I decided to see um, that buddy of mine uh, who had tried out for Marsoc. Mm. So he ended up, um, they ended up changing the regulation in the Marine Corps to where if you get peered out of um, the, if you get peered out of Marsoc, you can't ever try out again. Oh, okay. Right. And so he, he had made it all the way through his ANS with Marsoc. Mm -hmm. And basically from what he explained is uh, once you get to the end of ANS, nobody really sucks. So you sort of just write who you think is your friend for the selection. Mm. And so after he couldn't go back to Marsoc, he immediately like this is all happened. All the bar admins for this dude's life fucking came out with like three weeks. And um, so the Marsoc changed it. And then he got histed for drill instructor, which he wasn't fucking going to do. <laughs> and so he took the he took the bad reenlistment code and then he ended up going into the army and the army gave him a waiver for his um, bad reenlistment code. And he did an 18 x-ray contract and he made it through wow. army soft selection on the first try. Right. And he's fucking crushing it now. And he's fucking, he's, I fucking am so proud that this dude is even my friend. Wow. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so, you know, it, it's interesting looking back because this guy was a big influence on why I even bothered to do the counter Intel on the last, oh, because okay. it's a lot of the times you'll meet one or two or three people in the military and they'll have a big impact sure. on what you see leadership and camaraderie can be like. That. Right. 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 And I think it's like sort of chasing the dragon a lot of the times is you sort of have those close experiences with those one or two guys and you go, that was like such a close friendship and it was so good while we were stationed around each other. And that sort of nostalgia can fucking have a severe impact on how you look at like staying in mm. or like what you're what you're interested in, in doing in the like or what. Yeah, I I don't know if I explained that properly. Um, but so I end up driving back to Lejeune and I am completely dead set on fucking hanging myself in my barracks room. Hmm. And I end up stopping in at Fort Bragg and seeing this guy. And I didn't really tell him like anything about my intention, but you know, it's kind of just stopping and saying goodbye to a friend. Hmm. And I'll always fucking remember this. Just completely unprompted. I had sort of been bitching about you know the the marine corps and he fucking looked at me and he said as long as you're in the marine corps you will always be underutilized and underappreciated and my internal monologue literally goes oh you know maybe i shouldn't hang myself in my room maybe i should just eas wait there's life after the fucking marine right corps? right you know like obviously that didn't pull me out of the depression completely sure but it was a um, little bit it of was a, like, enough oh yeah it was enough to to be like hey maybe you should go to fucking mental health mm. and see some of these fucking resources sure sure right and you know looking back like not trying to um sound like 
fucking you know spoiled grapes but i i had a couple close friends on those teams and you know from my understanding they pretty much just sat on the fob and you know they never really left and they just ran drone strike operations mm. from the forward operating base and i think that kind of goes back into if you look at the funding for afghanistan is it really pivoted from being like hey we're going to kinetically engage the taliban which is really not something that you can kinetically engage to hey we're just going to do drone strikes on insurgents so we can report that we're killing enemy terrorists right 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 and um so i end up uh not doing it and kind of after that experience i sort of really decided to start um i don't know sort of like telling people the truth of what i thought because at that point i knew that i wasn't going to stay in because my reputation in the community was pretty much done sure and i was like hey like just fucking so i just uh i had my associate's degree from community college when i went in so i just ended up like making it a goal to finish my bachelor's degree and um so it's just like fuck it i'll just sit here for the rest of my three-year enlistment contract and you know get my bachelor's degree so i can sure. be somewhat employable when i get out of the military and i um and so about three or four months after i after that christmas experience um this intel analyst in another company went to the armory and he checked out an m9 and he shot himself in the barracks and i remember thinking about that about how if i had actually gone through right with what i had intended to do in christmas maybe my unit would have had some sort of reaction and maybe that kid wouldn't have ended up doing it you know Mm. i didn't know him but it really did stick with me that you know the place that i reached mentally was so similar to what another kid reached mentally right sure right within the same unit and you really kind of can put into context how a lot of guys with this like the suicide rate in the military you know i think something like uh close to forty thousand like active duty and veterans have killed themselves during the global war on terror compared to like um significantly less casualties right right from actual conflict i think uh, i think active duty veterans and active duty and veterans are twice as likely to have killed themselves during the global war on terror than they were to have died in actual combat operations and i think almost everybody knows somebody who does it and I think, you know, one of the big differences between the suicide, suicide out, the suicide rates was mm-hmm. haven't decreased, right? A lot of the suicides in, you know, the early 2000s, not the early 2000s, but in, in the 2000s were from guys that had pretty bad PTSD from mm. seeing stuff in Iraq okay. or they had immense survivor guilt or something like that. But now that you don't see the suicide rate decrease with service members that haven't had those experiences, sure, you really need to assess 
the culture of the military and look at how people are actually treating each other and how you're mentally preparing for what you're actually doing. Mm. Right. And I think that there is this really big, I don't know. I mean, I have issues with a lot of things in the military, but I think, you know, a lot of the military and the focus on being able to like endure and stick it out. Yeah, I am. Oh, yep. I got your back. Uh, that might have been right, me. Cool, cool. You, okay. you were saying uh, a lot of the military something. Yeah, I think a lot of leadership and the culture that people can create um, in different units in the military get. I guess they start using that people need to be tougher or more resilient as an excuse mm. for bad leadership sure. or being a shitty person. Sure. You know, I think looking back to even my own experiences, uh, like we had a female Marine in my first unit and she was not a good runner and everybody was a fucking asshole to her because of it. Right. And I actually messaged her a few years later and I apologized and I said, Hey, I was fucking, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily the leader of it. Sure. Um, I was rude to her more rude than I should have been on a couple occasions. Um, but you look at that sort of mindset that gets created by like, oh, these fucking wooks, right? They fucking can't run. And you know, she told me that she like had also come close to suicide, hmm. like while she was in the unit, just because of how people sure. um, were treating her. Sure. And then if you look at it and you're like, hey, how physically fit and how fast do the tractor drivers in the military actually have to be? <laughs> right. right? Like, like what is the actual fucking purpose of, you know, making sure that all of these fucking logistics guys are every Marine rifleman when essentially like infantry in modern combat is pretty like, it's pretty mechanized at Mm -hmm. this point. Right. You know, I think at the point, I think if you're at every Marine is a rifleman and not every Marine is mechanized infantry, then you're having, you know, not a very good assessment of what a peer on peer conflict is actually going to look like. And, and you definitely have the hand up on the mechanized portion as a tractor driver. Yeah. Yeah. They don't put very many weapons on the tractors. Right. Um, but um, so after that, um, after that guy killed himself, I was like pretty much just done. I mm. think with a lot of the fucking uh, people that I worked with and what was going on. And uh, so I had been working on my bachelor's degree in cybersecurity and I actually asked for orders to go to Mar4 Cyber um, just because I think, like there's a whole fucking thing of cyber tradecraft, which is one of the most interesting things to me, I think in the modern landscape. And, um, they basically told me like, Hey, you don't rate. And like, cause of that fucking dropped SD card, like we're not really gonna recommend you to go there because one of the things about communities, once you get your top secret security clearance Mm -hmm. is almost all of those guys will retain within the military industrial complex right right because once you get that security clearance 
you like never ever want to give that and you're you're very marketable to get paid the civilian market to to fucking raytheon right like raytheon and general dynamics will pay you to go do some bullshit and once you get that fucking tssei that's the golden ticket and there's certain i guess like jobs or communities that have good employability after the Marine Corps. And that's, I mean, that's why I was getting my bachelor's degree in cybersecurity is because I had been planning on trying to get into cyber counterintelligence. Mm. And um, so after that, I end up um, getting selected for staff sergeant anyways. And because uh, basically they just promote anybody in counterintel to staff that has a pulse. Right. And um, so the they ended up making us do this staff sergeant seminar, which is a week long. And I don't remember when exactly I said something, but I may have said something critical of my sergeant major and my, actually I for sure, (laughs) um, for critical of my CO and my sergeant major, um, for that suicide that happened in my unit Mm. because sure it was interesting to see that because nobody in the command really gave a shit. Mm. Right. And apparently that got back to them. And within like three days, I got orders to 29 Palms um, to be a combat instructor, (laughs) even though I have no experience with combat. I had never been to ITX at that point, like as a fucking as a student. Like I have, you know, it's basically nobody in the counter intel community wants to be stationed in 29 Palms. And there's really only like three or four fucking Marines there anyways that are CI human. Right. And so um, I end up and I'm the only CI human guy for a little while. And it was actually my by far my, like the favorite, my favorite experience mm-hmm. that I had in the Marine Corps um, was actually getting to go do fucking Marine shit for the first time in my career. Right. Um, and even though I wasn't actively doing it, I think that the the CI human MOS it really gives you a good ability to be an active listener. And mm. once you become a good active listener in life, the world is your oyster. Sure. Because people are such wells of knowledge that if you can listen and understand and ask the right questions, you can figure stuff out pretty easily and pretty quickly. Mm. And I, uh, I ended up nobody actually the entire time I was in 29 Palms um, because counter intel never sends anybody to 29 palms to do training is because it's like usually you attach to whatever battalion or mew or whatever is deploying and the ci human community always comes up with some excuse to not go to the field Mm. because none of the fucking chief warrant officers want to go to 29 palms to do training with the infantry right and so um i really just didn't have anything to do it's like almost almost less work than being the joint reception center in in co (laughs) right and um but you know i found a way um just by hanging out with the the infantry shop there um to help out with some of the uh company level intel cell training during the urban lanes and i uh it was real fun, actually, because I got to I they they let me redesign uh, the urban patrolling uh, exercise while I was mm. there. And you know, being the absolute pro gamer that I am, I <laughs> I had a great time and I just turned it into a World of Warcraft quest. Right. Um, and we had it was fucking it was awesome. And all the grunts loved it. And it was, you know, I right. set it up so that 
um, basically on your patrol, you were forced to go talk to some key leader and that key leader would provide you information right and that would lead to like a follow-on raid or something like that because previously you know it was is really eye-opening to be in 29 palms and be a part of the service level training environment because you really get to see what the fuck people are actually teaching the military to do. right and you in about 2015 i think obama started the pivot to the pacific where we really started to shift the focus of the military from the global war on terror to doing stuff more focused on pure on pure conflicts and mm. itx definitely followed in that footsteps and now a lot of the training that we do is really focused they have this event um called magtaf warfighting exercise mm -hmm. and pretty much everything that people do at itx is focused on training them for that magtaf warfighting exercise gotcha. and they pretty much like during this exercise they'll have the units that did itx mm -hmm. uh, be exercise force and then they'll have seventh marines who is stationed in 29 palms they'll be the adversary force gotcha. and they pretty much just go out there and they larp and it's like fucking a thousand on a thousand right wow. sometimes more yeah, yeah. and it's just like you have fucking infantry battalions with attachments simulating pure on pure conflict hmm. and um while i was in 29 palms like doing the urban lanes i actually trained several of the kids that died in the kabul airport attack that happened on the last day of afghanistan oh yeah and it really fucking bothered me because i saw that all of the training that we were doing was basically designed to prepare the marine corps to fight china and russia and the, i don't mm. i you know i could be wrong about this but i'm almost 100 percent positive that the Marines that died at the Kabul airport attack never even got training on suicide IED attacks before they deployed. Mm, right. Sure. And it's just like, we stopped training people for the global war on terror threat model. And we moved to something more like, Hey, here's how to fucking call, call artillery on a fucking Chinese tank. Sure. Like that's going to be fucking useful in the next five years or something. Right. Like that. Right. And it really, I guess like being a Ron Paul, like libertarian anarchist type foreign policy person gave me a better understanding of how the fucking military sort of feeds itself mm. pertaining to like ever increasing budgets. Sure. And you can see that Afghanistan stopped being a metric for high level leaders like colonels and generals and the people running the wars to get promoted and mm. those people needed to find a different path to be able to sell themselves to civilian leadership to become generals right so when you know afghanistan was collapsing i thought it was pretty funny um for a little while uh obviously until the airport attack uh because i had known the guys that had like been on the Afghan deployments in 2019, mm. 2020. Right. And I had fucking, I had been texting them and I was like, yo, you guys clearly missed a few because they had come back from those deployments just talking about how many fucking insurgents that they killed. Mm. Yeah. I remember um, the deployment that I was supposed to be on. There was some fucking drone strike 
that killed 39 pine nut farmers in Afghanistan. And I remember wow. texting, I saw it, I saw it on fucking Twitter and I fucking texted my buddy and I was like, yeah, did you guys just fucking drone strike 39 pine nut farmers? And he was like, that's what they all say. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just the most human intelligence right. response. And, yeah, of course. The, Have we, the did you see the rest there. of the video? <laughs> yeah of course of course the dod investigated itself and found that they had accurate intelligence and that they were sure that they were in fact taliban terrorists the not pine nut right farmers. right um Lucky yeah us. i think yeah i think one of the things about getting that that human intelligence training and just thinking about stuff from kind of an operational level is if you think that you're the only one running an operation you're not really running an operation mm. right mm. and so much of the human intelligence landscape in afghan right so i don't have any experience with this i never deployed to those areas i just know the dudes that were on the deployment, sure, sure and they knew nothing about anything related to local tribes in afghanistan oh right sure. and they could not have cared sure. less right i got a fair amount of their pre-deployment training with the cultural stuff and it was pretty much their mindset was hey there's like some guy that's been providing information for the past i don't know however many years and he's probably good to go so we're just gonna do because it's like who am i to like reassess whether this guy's providing us accurate information mm. and my bet with Afghanistan and why the collapse happened so quickly is I think that a lot of the fucking people that provided information were obviously Taliban affiliated, right? I remember hearing from one guy who was deployed in 2012 to Afghanistan, and he told me they didn't really do human intelligence operations. They just paid off the local warlord to mm. not plant IEDs and so that the Marines could get home alive, right? And at that point, you're not really prosecuting the Afghanistan war, right? Is it's just like, you're, obviously your goal is to make sure that none of your Marines get killed. But at the same time, pretty much everybody in the DOD knew that the fucking Afghanistan war was bullshit mm. and that, you know, there was pretty much no way for the ANA and the ANP to retain control over the nation of Afghanistan after the United States. Was right, China. right. And, but if you look at that, it's how many fucking generals or how many commanders have lost their retirement because they fucking told civilian leadership that everything was hunky-dory in Afghanistan. Right. And that it was good. Yeah. And right. They're still like, sitting pretty. No, absolutely. Yeah. And you you get it that you look at it and obviously if you were a, you by the time you make it to a general, I don't know if you're even capable of looking at you you like the military action in that region mm. and saying, "Hey, the DOD's not really the proper tool for nation building right and maybe we should maybe we should not do this and maybe we should have withdrew in like 2008 because we would have gotten the exact same sure. result yeah right and i think um you know seeing the kids um 
that died on like literally mm. the last day of the Afghanistan war, the last absolute day. Right. Um, you, you sort of just look at it and you're like, what the fuck was that actually for? Mm. Right. And it's the fucking, the withdrawal and all of that just got so botched from so many levels. And then on top of that, the DOD just completely shifted um, their focus to fighting China and Russia, but just kept the cash cow of Afghanistan going. I think hmm. if you actually divide the number of, um, I guess, enemy insurgents killed in Afghanistan mm -hmm. by the total cost of the war, it costs something like $55,000 per kill right. in right. Afghanistan in a country that has a fucking annual GDP per person of 600 fucking dollars. Right. And that, like and that's it would have been that all the dead people were actually bad guys. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's just when you're drone striking somebody with, you know, collected human intelligence from a forward operating base, you have no idea what you're actually hitting. You have no idea hmm. what that person is doing. And I think, in a lot of ways, it really helped probably some of the local warlords solidify control over the other local. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah, that was one of the things that we heard stories about uh, from other guys that did human intelligence. There's a lot of guys, like a lot of Afghan villagers would tell CI human that some guy in a neighboring tribe or one of their neighbors was an insurgent. Right because he wanted their cows or their goats or their fucking farm or something like that. Right. right. He would, he would, you know, plant evidence or fucking say this guy was planting IEDs when he wasn't so that he could fucking take his shit. Right. Um, and I don't know. Have you ever read the Afghanistan papers? I've, I haven't read them. I've heard of them. Yeah. So there's this story from the Afghanistan papers where there's a, village there's two villages that fucking hated each other mm. for like like some hatfields and mccoy sure, shit sure for the past 200 years and the u.s state department comes in and they're like oh these tribes could like each other if we put a well in the middle of them so the u.s state department like spent all this money digging a well and fucking put it in the middle of these two fucking villages and like 25 people fucking died fighting right <laughs> right right like the fucking some dude with a fucking master's degree in public policy of the state department thought that you know a tribal society in afghanistan would be singing fucking kumbaya right around this fucking well and you know patch up differences over fucking hundreds of years of just fucking hating somebody from a fucking 15 or 20 miles away right um, probably closer than that if there's a joint well. Um, hmm. But I think you know, a lot of my, I guess to culminate it, yeah, I, I think going in and knowing that the wars were not really cracked, you know, knowing that they were fucking bullshit hmm. and understanding that a lot of it was just the military industrial complex fucking coming up with bullshit reasons to use the military. Hmm. And then going through the military and seeing how that system actually works of how there's this sort of, I don't know if it's un, it's not unconscious bias wouldn't be a way to describe it, but people just responding to basic incentives, mm. right? Because after sure. a certain point, once you pick up E7 or gunnery sergeant, your goal in life is to pick up 
E8 or Master Sergeant, mm -hmm. right? Your goal is to retire. Your your goal is to not step out of line and do anything that could jeopardize your family's paycheck. Sure. And you know you're trying to set yourself up for a job after you get out of the military or something like that. And you know it's just I, really what it comes into is it's just institutional bloat. I mm. think right sure. is I think it's the military is so large that there always has to be some sort of threat for it to justify its continued existence sure. yep um murray murray rothbard has this uh this pamphlet that he wrote called anatomy of the state it's not super long but there's a i think the second chapter is about how the state sustains itself mm. and sure once you look at the military as being kind of like a fiefdom or a kingdom within itself, the fucking the people that end up making the major decisions are always going to make these decisions based off of virtually their own self-interest or the self-interest of the class or caste that they themselves belong mm, to. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. And, um, you know, I think one of the fucking most frustrating things about, being at itx when the ukraine conflict caught popped off is i had just fucking listened to all these officers for the past year and a half while i was at 29 palms talk about russia this and china this and like how these are our pure threats and oh we gotta fucking be prepared to fight fucking russia right. and yeah and then you fucking see on twitter they got a 40 kilometer tank column and it's just like hold on which one of you motherfuckers told me that russia was a pure threat <laughs> like russia based off of their performance in ukraine appears to be nowhere near the pure threat that we fucking assessed them to sure you know i think um there's another book called uh neptune spear i don't mm. know if you've heard mm. of it um but it's it's actually got a fuck ton of classified information in it apparently oh, really? apparently it made it past the fucking jsoc screeners um but you Neptune Spear is a, a book basically about JSOC operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, got okay. And um, you know, the fucking US, um, I don't know if it's the C5 Galaxy or if the C17, but one of those fucking planes or a couple of those planes actually landed tanks in northern Iraq in 2003. And we fooled the Iraqi military into thinking that there was a battalion of tanks invading Iraq from the north. Wow. And it's just like, wow. yeah, that's what the fucking U.S. government did like 20 fucking years ago in Iraq. Right. And then the Russians are barely capable of getting these fucking tanks even into the fucking Ukrainian conflict. Right. 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 And you you see so much of the force redesign so that's pretty pretty much what the marine corps is currently doing it's called force redesign 2030 and they're trying to reimagine the marine corps as a littoral fighting force to get back to the marine corps amphibious right routes, rather you know after fighting in the landlocked countries sure. um and you know you take a step back and you think about it you're like okay if they're preparing for an island hopping campaign does the atlantic ocean have any <laughs> islands in it no right. okay the pacific ocean has islands in it and it's just very overt that the military now that the global war on terror is ended has completely shifted focus to this china russia threat thing 
to basically just kind of kick off a new cold war. Hmm. And you ask real questions about what does this do for our national defense and what does this actually do for, um, you know, I guess keeping America safe because you know, getting invaded sure. on mainland America is just a laughable idea. Sure. Right. And as long as the military focuses on projecting power and, you know, maintaining our overseas empire, I think a lot of the mental health issues that people are having in the military are going to continue because it's sort of like a visionless, mm. meaningless existence, I think, currently. Sure. Because, you know, there's so much hype and joining the military about oh you're gonna be fucking utilized you're gonna fucking you know be able to fucking do this do that and then you see the actual implementation and the effect of it and the people actually doing shit are basically colonels and above, mm. right sure. and all of those guys just seem to be jockeying for position at raytheon and general dynamics and places like that and you know if you you kind of just take into account like why those guys would be doing um you know the fucking china threat thing you can you realistically see the u.s getting into a fucking major pure conflict with a nuclear armed sure like country sure, yeah right like are we gonna be fucking steaming the navy and fucking making sure that taiwan who's like really not that much better than the Chinese Communist Party when you really get into it. It's pretty much, Taiwan's pretty much just the remnants of the Kuomintang. So it's like, are we in fucking like 2024 gonna fucking jump into the Chinese Civil War? Right. And yeah, it's fucking, you know, I think knowing what the military was from a, like a foreign policy standpoint being exposed to ron paul mm -hmm. um i think the interesting thing about ron paul is that he was actually he doesn't talk about it a lot but he was a fucking uh air force flight surgeon in vietnam right oh, right and i think it sure. goes back to talking about identifying experiences that will shape and form you into the person that you want to be mm. and I have no doubt in my mind that Ron Paul spending years of his life sewing up and patching kids in fucking Vietnam mm. uh, had a significant impact in how anti-war and how vocal he was against a lot of the conflicts that we got drawn into. Sure. Right? And I think that's actually one of the interesting things is a lot of people are pretty disappointed in Rand compared to Ron. Mm -hmm. And if you look at you know, the major difference between Ron Paul and Rand Paul, it's really the only thing Ron Paul did that's different than Rand sure. is serve in the military, sure. right? And I think that even though I had a pretty negative experience um, and I, you know, I didn't get my little, um, dude, I basically didn't get to curb stomp the Afghans like I fucking wanted to with the rest of my fucking friends right. with our billions of dollars sitting on our fob shooting them with drones and claiming we're fucking winning the war right um the you know i didn't get the experience that i was hoping for but in a way i think i got a lot of the experiences that i needed 
because looking back, you know, I really got a lot of perspective on how people get conditioned and imprinted into being the people that they, you know, become themselves. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you, you know, just see so many of the guys in the military that you start out with as fucking, you know, fucking young boots. And then you see them later in their fucking careers. It's the, the shift between a lot of the people who stay in or they get out after one enlistment. You know, it's a really interesting exercise in self-selection mm. about you know, what serving in the military for even a limited amount of time will do and change mm. for you. And I sure. guess like if I have any advice for anybody who's thinking about joining the military, I think just think about more so than getting tangible skills is think about like really why you want to serve in the military, mm. right? If you're just looking for, I don't know, a career path or job experience or the GI bill, you know, that's one thing. But I think the type of people that you meet and the closeness of the relationships that you make with people in the military can last with you for the rest of your life. Mm. And it can really shift and give you perspectives that are not a lot of other people have um you know in modern america you know i saw on twitter sure. um there is some girl i don't remember her account name but she's i guess big in the liberty twitter circle and she tweeted something like i don't think the u.s support of the ukraine war is that bad and mm. just a just a massive dog pile of veteran like the veteran libertarian twitter community sure just all ambushed that girl sure. and was like, hey, like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And you know, even though I you know, never deployed to combat, I think understanding the perspectives of why there are so many combat vets mm. that are so against the military industrial complex and so against what the US government's been doing really for the past like I don't know, 50 or 60 years, really, since Korea. Mm -hmm. um, and understanding their outspokenness has really given me a lot of insight into, you know, how that system actually works and how the system, you know, maintains itself. Mm. And I think that, unfortunately, I'm pretty blackpilled on, you know, the the hope and desire to kind of, like, curve that and stem that and be able to roll back the state as one man would say um but <laughs> right but um yeah i don't know i guess it was a bit of a tangent mm. um yeah no but... you you worked right into the question i try to ask which is what advice would you give to someone who who's thinking about joining so yeah um... i think also when you do join um be open to becoming a completely new person right mm. i think you know and i definitely don't mean that in the sense of the marine corps um like sustain the transformation after boot camp and like i don't know blouse your fucking boots in public when you're on leave or whatever <laughs> but w what it's go into the fucking military and find you know, 
there are some of the best human beings that I've ever met in the Marine Corps, and there are also some of the fucking worst, right? Like that, my, my friend who's the Green Beret now, um, we ended up, I, I met him through like deading out and going to Okinawa mm. and being his tractor driver. And um, one of the gunnies that was on a debt with us ended up um, like molesting his 15-year-old daughter and fucking going to the brig oh, wow. for like 40 years. Yeah. Right. And then that dude was a fucking gunny. Wow. Right. So it's like you will meet the absolute best human beings you've ever met in your sure. life. And you will also be some of the biggest fucking pieces of shit. Mm. And I think a lot about like transforming yourself as a person and actually embracing the experience of being in the military is being open to having experiences that are going to make you uncomfortable and also being willing to just try different things out. Right. Sure. You know, I went from a fucking skinny, a hundred pound, a hundred pound, 18 year old who was fucking just sitting in his room playing world of Warcraft in his fucking bedroom right. all day. to you know, fucking an anabolic steroid user covered in tattoos that fucking shit posts on Twitter as a moon quaker. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. It's just like you don't know where you're gonna end up. Um and just be fucking open, but also keep that in mind. Um, also the other fucking number one advice I would have to you is if you want a fucking infantry contract from your Marine Corps recruiter and he fucking tells you he doesn't have one, go to a different recruiting <laughs> station. Right? Don't take what he offers. It's fucking Dude, there, yeah, if somebody tells you that something is the next closest thing to the fucking infantry, they're fucking lying. But it has combat right? in the name. Dude, that's true. <laughs> One of my favorite things about the fucking Marine Corps was uh, just like different fucking communities would use grunts of X, right? Like the aviation ordinance dudes that I fucking kept working with during my first enlistment. Mm. They would always fucking tell everybody that they were the fucking grunts of the air. Oh, right, right. <laughs> okay, like, I got you. It's just like how the, it's just like, I, you, I don't, you're using that phrase and I don't think it means what you think it right, means. Right, right. <laughs> but when that's the coin of the realm, uh, you know, to be a rifleman or whatnot, uh, they're eager to jump on board and, and associate themselves yeah, I mean, with that. Yeah, I, I think one of the other things too that's, interesting about the marine corps is it's definitely a humbling experience right because you will just meet human beings that are just better than you at everything mm. and they're probably going to be samoans but there's people from other races that are also just better than you at everything <laughs> and um you know but above all virtually everybody in the fucking marine corps infantry is better than everybody else mm. in the marine you know, as a non-infantryman, I will fucking endorse that belief wholeheartedly. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, did did you have anything you wanted to put out for the audience or or anything? No, I have I have nothing to sell. Um, but I mean, I guess I would say that you know, with my own mental health issues, if anybody's active duty. Don't be afraid of the fucking stigma of just dealing with your shit. Mm, you know, sure. um, the fucking the military. And it's also just don't feel fucking guilt about having stuff that you're going through. Right. I sure. think a lot of guys see 
um, people with some real PTSD from what they went through and what they saw in combat. And, you know, obviously I've never claimed anything like that. I've never fucking experienced anything like that. Mm. Um, but you know, there's a host of other issues that people deal with just through the culture of being in the military and how just absolutely catty and potentially isolating that it can be mm. um, within certain units. And so, you know, if you're having a hard time with something, you know, don't be afraid to fucking deal with something, you know, go like get the help that you need. Sure. And that like goes to fucking veterans as well is I think the, the suicide rate among the fucking veteran community is fucking extremely high. Um, you know, actually, I will plug something. It's not mine, mm. um, but there's this fucking charity that I really like. It's called Balanced Veterans Network. Mm, okay. um, they uh, are petitioning uh, for dr- like drug or marijuana legalization from the VA. Um, so vets can get on medicinal cannabis oh, sure. for PTSD. And um, making the VA do some alternative therapies um, like MDMA therapy and psilocybin mushrooms. Um, so that some of these guys can get um, some like real actual help uh, for their PTSD, sure. you know, rather than just being shoved on shit from Big Pharma. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's our BVN, BVN.org, I think. Um, I'm sure if you type Balanced Veterans Network okay. into Google, it'll come up. Um, they have fucking sick ass shirts, by the way. Um, so... Uh, if you want to cop one, I think the donations go to a good cause. I think they pay for um, veterans' med cards at the state level. Oh, um, okay, sure. Since medical cannabis isn't uh, right approved, federally legal or approved by the right. VA, right? Um, so that's the only thing that I have to plug. But you know, I super appreciate you having me on the podcast. Um, I apologize if it was nonsensical and if I rambled at times and said um <laughs> way too much. Um, but you know, I think this is a great podcast. I don't know if I would go that far, but you know, and I think that what you're doing is really great. And I think just as a vet, uh, you know, I appreciate you giving people a platform to kind of share their experiences and what they went through. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it is genuinely my pleasure. It's a lot of fun, (laughs) Great, but yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, was, uh, did I, do we miss anything? Any any final wrap up or? I don't think so. I think I'm good. Dude, honestly, I'd be shocked if somebody made it this far. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. I think more realistically, it's the Tower of Babel.